two days before she was murdered. Where did you find that? In this score, she must have left it here. It's written by somebody called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me. He said I wasn't any liquor. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. Um, I'm not sure if you recognise that uh, clip, it's from 1944, so nearly 80 years ago. Um, it's from a film with Ingrid Berman called Gaslight and I am going to um, be looking at the idea today of what um, gaslight means or what it means to be gaslit and uh, when I was looking at the definition of the term and the history of the term, the, that very, very famous film understandably came up. Um, so I just thought it would be an interesting way to start the episode off. I hope that you're well. Um, before I get on to the topic today, which is uh, slightly uh, more serious than, than the little story I'm going to start off with, um, I was reading in the news this week about um, a woman called Serena Sandu who lives in Cornwall, and um, she's released a book which is called Adrift, The Curious Tale of the the Lego Lost at Sea. And it talks about how, or reveals and describes how, on the 13th of February 1997, a cargo ship that was on its way to New York uh, was in a storm and 62 of its containers fell off the cargo ship into the water. And because of that, 5 million pieces of Lego ended up in the ocean. And um, the book looks at how, quite ironically, um, 54,000 pieces um, at least were sea-themed. Um, so scuba tanks, flippers, um, octopus, that type of thing. Um, and it became a little bit of like a tourist trap um, that people went to see if they could find any Lego washed up on the shore and particularly some pieces that were rarer than others. So there was deemed to be, quote, the Holy Grail, quote, if you could find a black octopus because there were less of those being shipped over to New York than, say, octopus of another colour. Um, and it's just... Um, just an odd little story and how, you know, 25 years later, um, she's decided to, to publish a book about um, what happened when she was there um, as a child. Um, but I'm not going to be talking about Lego for much longer. I just thought that was uh, an interesting topic um, or an interesting story that I read. So I'm going to be talking today about... Um, with International Women's Day coming up on the 8th of March, so in about a month's time, there are a lot of events taking place and a lot of things online, um, lots of discussion groups and forums and um, online events that you can take part in. And it's also um, the 50th um, anniversary, sounds like the wrong word to say, but celebrating 50 years of refuge, so a charity that supports women and children um, suffering from domestic abuse and domestic violence. And I'm going to come back to the refuge charity at the end of the episode. But so because of those two things, um, I'm going to look this week at um, the laws around domestic violence in different countries around the world. And coming back to this term that I've mentioned before of male violence towards women and how it needs to have that very clear term of male 
or of man or men so that the violence towards women isn't um, kind of arbitrary and isn't done by some invisible figure. There is a very clear person doing it to the woman, to the victim, because quite often it's just violence against women and that's obviously not the case at all. It's male violence. Not always. There will be female violence, but primarily or, um, you know, more often than not, male violence against women. So the um, film that I mentioned called um, Gaslight, so 1944, and the actual definition of to gaslight someone or to be gaslit is to manipulate by psychological means into making someone doubt their own sanity. And um, you may have been aware of the parody that's been on Netflix this week with um, Kristen Bell, The Woman in the House. Um, it's a very long title, I always get it wrong. The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. <laughs> Even the title's funny. But takes the piss out of books like and films like The Girl on the Train, Gone Girl, Simple Favour. Um, and how, you know, it's always got like a pronoun in the title and a preposition and a place, um, you know, to, to that extent, like the woman in the window, that type of thing. And it's very funny. It's very subtly funny. It's not kind of laugh out loud funny. And you have to know the genre and the books and the films to understand why it's witty, but it's very good. Um, but in that, obviously, even though it's taken the mick out of that genre, it very clearly shows the gaslighting of, of women. Um, and even how women can gaslight each other sometimes as well. Um, but particularly how a woman is gaslit with the fact that she's struggling, that she drinks, that she's grieving, and that she's basically seen as this very fragile, vulnerable victim that is making things up for attention. Um, and the Watergate scandal um, is also being made into a mini-series called Gaslit, with Julia Roberts starring as Martha Mitchell, who became one of the most outspoken people about the truth about Watergate. So that'll be interesting when that comes um, to screens as well soon. So International Women's Day happens on 8th of March and it's been going since 1977 and I actually did a very short episode on it last year as well and it has a different focus every year and this year there's a hashtag called Break the Bias and if you go onto the website, so International Women's Day website, you can look at events that are coming up to the 8th on the 8th and afterwards and um, the Beat the Bias hashtag relates to their main can, uh, campaign theme this year, which states, imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination, a world that is diverse and inclusive, a world where difference is valued and celebrated. Together, we can forge women's equality, collective, we can all, and then the hashtag break the bias. So I would definitely suggest going looking at the International Women's Day website. It's got lots of resources and lots of information about um, ways that you can get involved, you can donate and online courses that you can be part of as well if you wish. Um, I was also interested in looking at this topic this week because I've just started reading a book called She Said um, by two um, writers and investigators for the New York Times and it's the story of the Harvey Weinstein scandal and how they were fundamental in um, the two writers Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey um, of bringing the Weinstein scandal to light 
And in it, they conduct interviews with obviously numerous women um, that have been part of the scandal or outing the scandal rather than outing the Weinstein scandal. Um, and there are lots of, of obviously very interesting parts of it, but quite gruelling and quite shocking parts in it, understandably. Um, and they talk about how um, Rose McGowan, who was one of the first people to speak out against Weinstein publicly, was very um, uh, unsure and distant about talking to them because she wasn't sure if the New York Times would support her, if it was, you know, supportive of women. Um, and they quite interestingly um, get Rose McGowan on side in just sending a very short email and it says, um, here's my own track record on these issues. Amazon, Starbucks, Harvest Business School have all changed their policies in response to gender-related problems I exposed. When I wrote about the class gap in breastfeeding, white-collar women who can pump on the job, whereas lower-paid women cannot, readers responded by creating the first-ever mobile lactation suites, now available in 200-plus locations across the country. Um, and because of that, because the, the, the journalist really tried to show Rose McGowan that she was there as a supporter of women and not kind of after a salacious story. Um, that essentially got the ball rolling into the, the uncovering the scandal. They also talk about how um, the writer who, who's involved in it, Megan Toohey, she was very involved in the um, investigation around President Trump and the sexual assault um, and harassment allegations against him. Um, and there's information about that in the book as well. So, for example, it says Megan had pieced together multiple um, allegations of sexual aggression beyond the Ivana rape allegation. Um, because in the book, Ivana Trump um, alleges that she was victim to uh, marital rape when she was with Trump. Um, a former Miss Utah had explained in detail how in 1997, Trump had forcibly kissed her on her mouth twice at a gala after the Miss USA pageant and later at a meeting at his office to discuss a potential modelling career. Um, and goes on to say that at the Plaza Hotel, he had taken it into a room at another work gathering and forcibly kissed, fondled and restrained her from leaving. And they're quite open about the fact that a lot of women didn't want to come forward and talk about their experiences, whether that was because they didn't want to, or obviously understandably go back to a very, very traumatic time in their life, which could be very triggering for them. Maybe they were worried as to what repercussions would be in terms of the legal power that someone like Trump or Weinstein would have and the monetary resources and people he'd have on his side. But the two writers say that when they were reaching out to these women, they essentially just told them, I can't change what happened to you in the past, but together we may be able to use your experience to protect other people. And that was how they um, got a lot of the women on board by basically saying, look, I can't change what's happened to you, but together we can maybe stop it from happening again. And I think that's a really powerful thing and a really positive way of looking at the um, coming together of women in this um, violence that women have to put up with from men. Now, because I'm going to look at different types of violence towards women and um, discuss different types of domestic violence, obviously, you know, as a trigger warning, 
it might be something that you don't particularly want to listen to, which I completely understand. Um, but I just wanted to define the different types of domestic violence that there are. And it can also be called intimate partner violence. So there's physical violence, which is with um, an intent to cause injury. Economic, so using money to control and manipulate and to withhold finances from a partner as well. Sexual, so rape, but also marital rape. So rape within a marriage when it's not consensual. And um, marital rape was first put into law um, as a criminal offence by Sweden in 1965 and by Ireland in 1999. Um, so, you know, you're only looking 20 years ago so that in Ireland it wasn't a crime. Um, marital rape wasn't a crime 20 years ago, which is shocking. Um, and then emotional abuse as well. So it's a non-physical action, but ways to, again, manipulate and intimidate um, a partner. And marital rape is, I think, one that is still misunderstood by people. Um, and so there's obviously lots of reading around it, like any of these issues. But um, kind of in terms of, of the law, um, marital rape is the unwanted sexual act by a spouse without the other person's consent. It may or may not be done with use of force and intimidation beforehand. Um, in a society where marriage is considered a license for sex, marital rape is an alien concept to many. So I think that last statement is interesting because I think it's the idea that, well, you're married, so you can't be raped by your partner, can you? Because you're married to them. And obviously that's not the case. Consent still has to happen regardless of who you're with, how long you've been with them, whatever. Um, and just a couple of um, facts about it. It says that, um, you know, 16, you're 16% more likely to have a low birth weight baby if um, you are suspect of marriage, um, if you... Um, are a victim of sex, uh, marital rape when you are born, uh, when you are born, sorry, when you are pregnant. Um, and just, yeah, it's, it's something that I think it's another crime against women that people don't necessarily know is happening, but, but it is, and it, it, it's there, sadly. Um, I recently watched a documentary by Stacey Dooley, and I know I mentioned a documentary by her last week um, but there's a documentary which looks at uh, the domestic violence laws and how they're changing in Russia and just before I give you some information about the, the, the changing laws of domestic violence in Russia I'm just going to play you a little uh, video clip which will summarise the information probably much better than I can and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it in more detail. Russia's legislation to protect victims of domestic violence has faced a series of proposed changes over the past decade. Straddling the line between protecting victims and appeasing conservative proponents of, quote, family values. The Ministry of the Interior reports that 3% of the total number of women killed in Russia were murdered by partners or relatives. 
However, according to a 2021 study, activists argue that number is closer to 61%. Activists have complained that domestic violence allegations are not taken seriously by law enforcement, dissuading victims from reporting these crimes. Yet, in 2017, Russia decriminalized acts of domestic violence that did not cause severe injury. Okay, so basically... In January of 2017, um, it was voted 380 to 3 to decriminalise parts of domestic violence in Russia. So basically, if the attack by a partner, so the man to his wife or boyfriend to girlfriend, whatever, quote, does not result in serious bodily harm, quote, then it can't be viewed as something that is criminal. So if you batter your wife but she doesn't end up in hospital essentially then it's fine and the maximum fine is 30,000 rubles which is 293 pounds 15 days in prison or 120 hours of community service so not only are you unlikely to get into trouble for it anyway you could be fined less than 300 quid for battering your wife or partner. Um, and the statistics are just shocking. So um, there's, it's claimed that 36,000 women a day are victims of domestic violence in Russia. There were in 2015, 1,060 deaths of domestic violence. And that it's estimated that up to 70% of women in parts of Russia experience domestic violence, whether that is physical, sexual, psychological, emotional or economic. Um, and it's also thought that 35% of all victims do not go to the police. You know, and if you think about, um, you know, what we've just learned there about the, the criminalisation of it, then why, you know, you can understand why women wouldn't. I mean, one, they might not be believed. Two, it's unlikely anything would happen to the partner anyway, because... As the law says, you've got to basically be hospitalised before anything happens. So you can understand why so many women don't report it in the first place. Um, now, in 2016, a hashtag began in Russia called I'm Not Afraid to Say It. And it was a woman called Anastasia Melenchenko. And it was in response to the idea that she was, as you could understandably, just fed up of women being told that they are to blame for domestic violence. It's because they make the men angry. They were drink, drunk. They were wearing something provocative. And um, the hashtag, I don't think it didn't particularly take off because I think um, it was something that women were afraid to use, understandably. Um, and it's an issue that, you know, she started that hashtag in 2016. Well, the next year, it was decriminalised anyway. Um, so it's it's the law around protecting women in Russia has completely gone backwards from, from where it was. Um, and there was also an article by um, a writer called John Lockett, which found that 80% of women who are in jail in Russia for murder was... Um, due to the, the defendant's claim was a self-defence from domestic violence. So it wasn't murder, it was self-defence. So the law against women, as you can see, is just 
completely favoured towards men. Um, and, you know, when I've spoken about the, the patriarchal structure of, of society, particularly white men, um, you can see that that coming through in this decriminalisation of, of domestic violence in Russia. Um, just looking closer to home at the UK, so the Domestic Violence Crime and Victims Act was put into place in 2004 and it was updated to the Domestic Abuse Act in 2021 and has actually just recently been updated, I saw on the government website, as of 31st of January 2022. So even just last week, this act was being updated and looked at. And it is um, overseen by Victoria Atkins, who's a Minister for Safeguarding. And she states um, in the act, quote, domestic abuse is an unhobbent sorry, an abhorrent crime perpetrated on victims and their families by those who should love and care for them. This landmark bill will help transform the response to domestic abuse, helping to prevent offending, protect victims and ensure that they have the support they need. You can read the bill as it's being updated um, on the government website, so gov.uk, and then you can search for all various bills and acts that, that are going through Parliament. And it states that this act will, visit just one or two things, because it's, as you can understand, very, very lengthy, um, create a statutory definition of domestic abuse, emphasising that domestic abuse is not just physical violence, but can be emotional, control and coercive and include economic abuse. So the definition of domestic violence and abuse is changing as part of this act, um, which is um, interesting and, and positive in one way, but also slightly worrying that it's not included those factors before. But what is interesting is that it also now includes um, as an offence, the, the, the disclosing of private sexual photographs and films, so essentially revenge porn. So if you have a photograph of a partner, you break up with them, or even if you're still with them, you know, whatever the circumstance is, you send that photograph out without their consent, then that is now being classed as part of domestic violence and abuse as well, which I think is really important and very interesting. Um, and... Uh, again, something that is, because it is kind of in the ether, a photograph is taken and gone, is it abuse because it doesn't touch anybody? Well, yeah, because you're still taking something very intimate, you know, intimate, intimate partner violence that I've mentioned before, and without consent, distributing it. Now, the Act as well also references something called Claire's Law, which is um, sometimes known as the Domestic Violence Disclosure Scheme. And if you're not aware of what Claire's Law is, it um, comes from a woman called Claire Wood who is murdered in England by a partner um, who the police, who was known to the police as being aggressive and dangerous for domestic violence in particular. And the Claire's Law has two main elements to it. So basically that someone has a what is known as a right to ask. So it allows members of the public to request information from the police about a potential abuser so they can get information if their partner has been convicted or has um, a history of domestic abuse in the past. Um, and something called a right to know, which um, permits the police to disclose information. 
um, if they think it's particularly important or, or, or relevant or pertinent. Um, and it was first implemented in 2014 and has been adopted in um, other parts of the UK and Australia and Canada since. Um, but this is actually mentioned in the Domestic Abuse Act of 2021, which is, like I said, has been updated. Um, so again, that's something that, again, is giving women the power to... Um, keep themselves safe and stand up for themselves and the right to um, believe in the police and to get the confidence back in the, in, in the police. Now, as well as looking at domestic violence laws um, in different countries like Russia and uh, the UK, um, I've also been interested in, in the past, and have read up on the... For want, of, for want of another word, I mean, it's even called in in the articles I've been reading um, a genocide of women and indigenous women, particularly in Canada. Now, as always, there's lots of documentaries and reading around this. Again, Stacey Dooley's doc done a documentary on it. Um, there is um, a film with um, Elizabeth Olsen called Wind River in 2017, which looks at the high number of indigenous women who are who are murdered or go missing in Canada. And um, as I said, there is an article in The Independent um, last year, which was looking at the, the, the facts and statistics, and they, they quote it as being a genocide of Indigenous women who, who just disappear. Um, and it's such a problem in Canada that there is actually a website which is just called missingpeople.ca, and um, I looked on it yesterday and the first two people who came up as being missing were both women, both indigenous uh, women and were aged 14 and 15. And the 14 year old had gone missing on the 4th of February, so two days ago. And um, when you start to read into it and delve into the the history and the facts and the 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 investigations of it it's 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 terrifying so like with the other bits of information i've been speaking about i'm just going to play you a short news clip which um is where there's a vigil being held um to raise awareness but also show respect for these missing and murdered indigenous women and there's an interview with a woman whose sister um is is one of is one of the the, the countless women Maggie Saiwink's sister, Sonia, was murdered in 1994, yet she had so little faith in the national inquiry into missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, she chose not to testify. Families wanted the um, police killings that had taken place investigated. They wanted their missing brought home. So those kinds of things were never able to be, uh, were not able to have been answered with this inquiry. It's not that there hadn't long been calls for a specific investigation into the disproportionate violence directed at Indigenous women in Canada. Just 4% of the population, but 16% of reported nationwide homicides. Okay, so... Again, just some bits of information then about this issue. Um, so, missing and murdered Indigenous women, as um, it's known, so MMIW. So, 16% of female murder victims in Canada are Indigenous women, even though they only make up 3% of the overall population. 
Over the last 30 years, there is a suspected 1,000 Indigenous women who have been murdered. Um, and they are two times more likely to experience domestic violence than um, a, a white woman. Um, the first Violence Against Women Act um, came into place in Canada in 1994. So there wasn't a um, piece of legislation protecting women until what is it 2022 so until 28 years ago so i've been alive i'm 35 i've been alive longer than there's been a piece of legislation protecting women in canada and which is just insane and it was um updated in 2013 and in the most recent policy it states that the violence against women act is part of public health and is a human rights concern um there is a campaign called Walk for Justice and um, that campaign believes that there are 4,000 um, missing women, um, Indigenous women who have never been found um, in Canada, that they're just lost, um, that, that the police have never solved the crime. And... There's even a section of Canada, there's, a, there's a, um, a highway which is called the Highway of Tears and it's 700 kilometres long and it's infamous for an area where women just go missing. Um, so since 1970, when records were first kind of collated on this area, there have been 80 victims. So 80 women have either gone missing or have been murdered on this stretch of highway since 1970. The first, Tracy Clifton in 1970, and the most recent um, was a woman called Kristen West in August of 2021. Um, and it's so dangerous, this, this particular stretch of, of, of road for women, that the government tell women to not, get, to not use the road. They tell women to avoid the highway of tears. So rather than... Um, police it rather than make the um, criminalization of violence towards women more severe rather than protect women against men women are told oh just don't use that road because then I suppose the other way of looking at that is well we did tell you to not go on that road so if you get abducted and murdered it's your own fault I mean, that's just insane for the government to say, to have part of the policy to not use a road because you might get abducted. Well, how about you stop the abductions taking place? And for a country like Canada that seems incredibly forward thinking, incredibly calm compared to its, you know, south of the border counterpart of America, um, it's very um, jarring and very uncomfortable um, you know, and I say that from a place of privilege to say that it's uncomfortable to to think that there's this, as as I've quoted, genocide of women and particularly minority women in what is such a, you know a first world forward thinking place. Um, I've mentioned a lot on this podcast before um, a man called Dr. Jackson Katz.
And I've read this quote from him, I think, at least twice on, on past episodes. But with this particular episode's focus, I think it's really timely just to, to mention it again. Um, you can follow Dr. Jackson Katz on, on Instagram. There's loads of reading around him. He's done interviews on different podcasts, um, as like with Jamila Jamil. So he says, we talk about how many women were raped last year, not about how many men raped women. We talk about how many girls in a school district were harassed last year, not about how many boys harassed girls. We talk about how many teenage girls in the state of Vermont got pregnant last year, rather than how many men and boys impregnated those teenage girls. So you can see how the use of this passive voice has a political effect. It shifts the focus off men and boys and onto girls and women. Even the term violence against women is problematic. It's a passive construction. There's no active agent in the sentence. It's a bad thing that happens to women. But when you look at the term violence against women, nobody's doing it to them. It just happens to them. Men aren't even part of it. Which is just a, a fantastic summary of the, of, of the issue. That if it's violence against women, it's done by this type of invisible figure um, that can't be held accountable. But if it's coined male violence against women, the perpetrator is there front and centre as it should be. Um, and there's loads of other quotes from him that, that you know, are, are just really powerful. So calling gender violence a woman's issue is part of the problem. It gives men a lot of an excuse not to pay much attention to it. Um, he says there's been an awful lot of silence in male culture about this ongoing tragedy of men's violence against women and children. We need to break that silence and we need more men to do that and break the silence. Now, as part of his work, um, there is a um, campaign called the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence. Um, and there's a hashtag, um, six, hashtag 16 Days. And um, it's the, uh, the, the idea that... Um, you can raise awareness of this issue by trying to use the hashtag when you're maybe talking about um, a documentary that ha tackles domestic violence or an article that you've read or even um, like a, um, a picture of one of Dr. Jackson Katz's quotes and using the hashtag of hashtag 16 days. And it's a United Nations international campaign that um, Jackson Katz has um, supported and made prominent through his work. And there's a 16 days newsletter that you can get, even though the, um, the campaign lasts for kind of like a couple of weeks in the year, like a lot of, you know, um, X, Y, and Z month or X, Y, and Z week, the actual campaign, you can get information about it all year. So that's another hashtag you might want to look at, hashtag 16 days. Now, I mentioned at the very start of the episode, the charity Refuge, which is fundamental in supporting women and children suffering domestic violence and domestic abuse. And it is this year recognising its 50th year of um, committing itself to that work and 
that mission and vision. And on the 25th of January, so just last week, um, Camilla, so um, uh, the Duchess of Cornwall, uh, delivered just a very brief speech about the refuge charity. So I'm just going to play a very quick clip of that. 1971, the world's first refuge opened in Chiswick. Many of you weren't even born then, but those of us who were around in those very far off days remember how different life was for women and above all for women living with abuse. Now, the web page for refuge um, has a campaign that you can actually um, sign and the campaign is so that you can um, sign up to it and you can give a like electronic signature and it gets sent to your local MP and it then encourages them with the number of votes in their local area to take to parliament um, the notion that misogyny needs to be made a hate crime and you can sign the bill, it gets sent to your MP, and then that encourages them to take it to Parliament to, to, to be passed into law. Now, there are lots of other websites that you can access whether you want to find out about um, what can be done to support victims of domestic abuse, or if you yourself need somewhere to turn to. So there is um, dvassist.org.uk, so domestic violence, dvassist.org.uk. There is womanstrust.org.uk, domesticviolenceuk.org, and then refuge.org.uk, so R-E-F-U-G-E, refuge.org.uk. And as I said, there is um, the bill there that you can ele electronically sign um, to try and put into law or to raise that misogyny needs to be made um, a hate crime. Now, I always finish these episodes by talking about one thing I've done that week. And so for this week, that is the one thing that, that I did. I signed that bill and I sent it to my, who is my local MP, so Conservative Fiona Bruce, to encourage her to take that to Parliament. So we'll see how that goes and um, I'll keep looking back at the refuge page over the next couple of weeks to see what, what's kind of where we're up to with that. So if you want to read any more about this issue, and as always, I suggest that you go and look at um, these um, topics in, in more detail in your own time. So I would thoroughly recommend reading the book She Said that I mentioned before, which looks at um, the in primarily the Weinstein scandal by Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey. Um, you can read any part of government legislation and law around domestic violence on the government website. You simply have to go and search for it. And it's really interesting to look at what is and is not and how recently things have been put into law that maybe we just expected were part of our culture but aren't. Um, the Stacey Dooley documentaries the domestic violence in Russia, the missing women in Canada. I would certainly go and watch those as well. They're very, very interesting. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a very heavy topic. So be even something a little bit more lightweight, like 
um, you know, girl on the train, like the woman in the house across the street from the, the girl in the window, they still look at the violence towards women and male violence towards women and how easily women are just gaslit and made to seem crazy when they dare to say something that a man has done to them. So, um, as always, thank you for listening. If you have any further bits of information about this, anything that you want raised or any thoughts, then as always, let me know. Just email in. Um, I do read all the emails that I get. So thank you very much. Um, and I hope you have a very, very good week. See you soon.